Welcome to this bonus edition of Bible Explained Verse by Verse. Today, I want to talk about when will Jesus Christ return. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, Jesus said, And concerning that day and hour, no one hath known, not even the messengers of the heavens, except my Father only. When we take this scripture in context, in the entire chapter that it comes from, Jesus is talking about when he returns. When he said no one knows the day or the hour, he was talking about when he returns. But he didn't say no one knows the year. Now, I'm not going to tell you that I know the year. I'm just going to tell you what the Bible already tells us about what year it probably is. In 2 Peter 3, 8, in this full chapter, Peter is also talking about the return of Jesus Christ. Peter says, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Which means that to God, a thousand years and one day are the same thing. Which means that what we consider a long time is to him a very short time. But I think it means even more than that. I think that God interchanges a thousand years with one day. And I'll tell you why. Because in Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, it describes the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. The millennial reign comes after the tribulation, which comes after when the saints get raptured. Christ comes back at the end of the age. The church is raptured. That's those people who are ready to go up with him. They're forgiven. They're carrying their cross. They're following him. Those people go up in the sky with him, and they disappear for three and a half years while the world undergoes a terrible time of war and total chaos, mayhem, famine, everything. It's just going to be awful. But during the three and a half years, other people will get saved. People that weren't ready when Jesus came, but they will get saved during the tribulation. The Bible makes that perfectly clear because Jesus warns us during the tribulation not to get the mark of the beast. And if we don't get the mark of the beast and we die for Jesus and we let them behead us for Jesus, we will be saved. So there will be martyrs during that time, during the tribulation. Then, after the three and a half years, we have a thousand-year millennial reign. When Jesus returns to earth, this is like the third coming of Jesus. Everybody talks about the second coming, but the millennial reign is the third coming of Jesus. Because then he comes back with the saints who raptured with him, and probably the ones who were martyred during the tribulation as well. And then he sets up a thousand-year millennial kingdom on earth. And during that thousand years, there's no war whatsoever. And Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 through 6 describes this, that there's no war, because Satan is locked up in the pit for a thousand years, and he's not allowed to influence man for a thousand years. So during this time, there are people on the planet who don't really love God, but because everything good comes from Jerusalem, where Christ is reigning with the saints who have been resurrected, they will all go to Jerusalem to worship the Lord, because that's where everything comes from. Their food, their sustenance, their peace, their joy, everything they can get, they get from Jerusalem during this time. After the thousand-year reign, 
Then comes Armageddon, the final battle that is no battle, because Satan is let loose out of the pit, and then he instigates all the nations to surround Jerusalem and go to battle against Jerusalem to defeat Jesus. But before the battle even starts, God sends massive fire from the sky and incinerates all of them. Then comes final judgment, and that's when everybody goes before the throne of God and they get judged, and then we all enter eternity. This is described in Revelation as well, in different chapters of Revelation, and also in Corinthians, Matthew, and Thessalonians. You can read different things about the end times and what will happen. And when you piece it all together, that's kind of what you get. Now, to God, a thousand years is as one day. The millennial reign is one day. Even though it's a thousand years, it's also one day. Now, God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. The millennial reign is a rest. It's a Sabbath rest because there's no war. Nobody has to fight during that entire time. There's no poverty. There's no hunger. And Jesus is reigning as King of kings and Lord of lords on earth. So it's a Sabbath rest for the entire world. Now, God created the earth in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. But after the seventh day, he got to work. There was a whole lot more to do, wasn't there? Because all of this history happened after the seventh day. Adam and Eve were here on the sixth day, but after the seventh day, which is the eighth day, history begins, doesn't it? God created all the earth in six days. All this time, all these thousands of years since Adam, he's been creating his bride. And on the seventh day, he will rest with his bride on earth for a thousand years. And then after the seventh day, there's work to be done. Armageddon happens, and then final judgment, and then we enter into eternity. So there's work after the seventh day. But during the seventh day, there's rest. During the six days that God is creating his bride, that would be 6,000 years. If the millennial kingdom, which is a temporary kingdom because it only lasts a thousand years, it's Christ's kingdom on earth. If that is a thousand years representing a day, then God creating his bride is 6,000 years representing six days. When I say creating his bride, what I mean is, during all the 6,000 years, all these people were born and died, born and died, born and died, generation after generation. And in each generation, there has been a remnant of people, according to the Bible, who have served the Lord, who've taken up their cross and followed him. We can understand that when 6,000 years is up from the time that Adam was created, that will be the end of six days where God has created his bride so it took 6,000 years for all of them to be born, and most of them died, but some are in this generation. The question is, when do we get to the year 6,000? I have wondered this for years. When do we get to the year 6,000? I did figure out that from Adam to the flood was 1,656 years, but I wasn't smart enough to figure out the numbers after that. But I've recently learned that a really smart guy named Reverend James Usher. He wrote in the Annals of the World in 1658. He basically came up with this chronology or something very close to it. And then it was updated by Matthew Carey in 1801. So I'm going to go over the chronology with you to help you understand how close we are to year 6000. 
and I thank God that I found it on the Houston Baptist University website. They have listed on their website Matthew Carey's Chronology of Time. So I'm going to go over it with you, not word for word. That would take too long. But if you go to hbu.edu, hopefully you can find it on the website. The URL is way too long for me to read out to you. From Adam unto Noah's flood are 1,656 years. And we calculate this because when Adam was 150, his son Seth was born. When Seth was 105, Enos was born. When Enos was 90, Canaan was born. And on and on until you get to Lamech being 182 and Noah was born. Noah, at the coming of the flood, was 600 years old. And this is mentioned in the seventh chapter of Genesis. The whole sum of the years are 1656. From Adam being created to the flood is 1656. If you keep reading in the Bible, you'll find out that from the flood of Noah unto Abraham's departing from Chaldea were 422 years and 10 days. For the flood continued one whole year and 10 days. And we know that because we already read that. The rain only came down for 40 days, but the flood situation was a year long. That's how long the earth was covered with water. And then Shem, Noah's son, his son Arphaxad, was born two years after they came off the boat. Arphaxad, when he was 35, his son Selah was born. And Selah, when he was 30, his son Eber was born. And on and on until you get to Terah, when he was 130 years old, his son Abram was born, who later became Abraham. And Abraham departed from Chaldea when he was 70 years old. That is 422 years and 10 days is when Abraham departed from Chaldea. From Abraham's departing from Ur in Chaldea unto the departing of the children of Israel out of Egypt are 430 years. And this is how we know. Abraham was in Charan for five years, and he left Charan when he was 75. And all of this is in the Bible. No one's making any of this up. All of this is in scripture, and much of it we've already read. Then, when Abraham was 100 years old, Isaac was born. That was 25 years after Abraham had left Charan. Then Isaac, when he was 60 years old, had Jacob, and Jacob's name was turned to Israel. The man Matthew Carey says that we have to deduct 80 years from this because Moses was 80 years old when he conducted the Israelites out of Egypt, which would be 130 to make the 400, are divided between Aram and Kohath. And Kohath, he was the father of Amram at the age of 67. And Amram, when he was 65, had Moses. And when Moses was 80, the Israelites left Egypt. This accounts for 430 years, which is mentioned in the 12th chapter of Exodus and in the 3rd chapter of Galatians. See how God is actually telling us this chronology. We're not making it up, and God told it to us for a reason. So now we have 430 years to add to the 2078, and you get 2,508 years. So that was a little over two days, if a day is as a thousand years of God creating his bride. From the time that the Israelites left Egypt under the first building of the temple, this is the original temple, which would be the one that Solomon built, King Solomon, and we'll come to that later in the Bible. It was 480 years, and this is how we know. Because the Bible stops telling you 
how old the fathers were when they had their sons. And that's what confused me. I couldn't count any further once the Bible stopped telling me how old the fathers were when they had their sons for each generation. But what the Bible does tell you is it tells you how many years that Israel was under each of its judges before it got King Saul. Each judge's reign lasted a certain number of years. And what the Bible tells us is Moses was in the desert for 40 years after they left Egypt. Then Joshua and Othanel ruled Israel as judges for 40 years. Then Ehud ruled for 80 years. Then Deborah ruled for 40 years. Then Gideon ruled for 40 years. Abimelech ruled for three years. Then Tola ruled for 23 years. Then Jer ruled for 22 years. And then they were without a captain until the 18th year of Jephthah. And Jephthah ruled for six years. Ibzan ruled for seven years. Elon ruled for 10 years. Abdon ruled for eight years. Samson ruled for 20 years. Then after that, Heli was a judge and priest for four years. And then Samuel, a prophet, and King Saul reigned for 40 years. And then King David was anointed king and he ruled for 40 years. And then Solomon, in the fourth year of his reign, he began building the first temple. Up until that point, the Ark of the Covenant was in the tabernacle, which was a big tent. But at this point, King Solomon built a temple for the Ark of the Covenant to be placed in. All of that time adds up to 480 years, which is mentioned in the first book of Kings, chapter 6. Now, he also added the reign of all the years of all the kings of Israel. From the first building of the temple unto the captivity of Babylon are 419 years and a half. So now we're going over the reigns of the kings in order to continue the chronology. First, the chronology started with fathers begetting sons. Then it changed to the reign of judges. And now it has changed to the reign of kings. Solomon reigned 36 more years after he started building the temple. And then Rehoboam was king for 70 years. Then Abijah was king for three years. Then Asa was king for 41 years. Then Jehoshaphat was king for 25 years. Jehoram was king for eight years. Ahaziah was king for one year. Athaliah was queen for seven years illegally. She wasn't supposed to be queen, but she took over. Then Joash was king for 40 years. Then Amaziah was king for 29 years. Then Uzziah was king for 52 years. Jehoahaz was king for 16 years. Ahaz was king for 16 years. Hezekiah was king for 29 years. Manassas was king for 55 years. Anon was king for 2 years. Josiah was king for 31 years. Jehoaz was king for 3 months. Eliakim was king for 11 years. Jehoiakim and Jeconias were, I guess they co-reigned for three months, and then they went into captivity. Now, there's actually two strains of kings. There's the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah during this whole time, because in King David's lifetime, the kingdom kind of split in a way. There was a faction that split off of David. But I think right here, all he's counting is the years of the kings of Judah. He's not counting the years of the kings of Israel, which were simultaneous during this time. But when we read the Chronicles and the Kings, we'll see that there's actually two separate kingdoms over Israel. But the total of all these years, of all these kings reigning over Judah, is 419 years. Now this is where it gets even harder to do the chronology, because you have to do it based on 
prophecy, the prophecy in the book of Daniel, because Daniel was told many things. His book is a phenomenal book of prophecy, and it'll be incredible when we get there. But basically, according to Daniel, the captivity of Jerusalem lasted for 70 years, 7-0. The children of Israel were delivered in the first year of Cyrus, and he was not an Israel king. I think he was king of the Medes. The temple was begun to be built in the second year of Cyrus and finished in the 46th year, which was the sixth year of Darius. And after that, Darius had reigned 20 years. This is talking about the second temple. The first temple that Solomon built was destroyed by the Babylonians. Israel was able to build a second temple during Darius's time. And after that, Darius had reigned 20 years, and Nehemiah the prophet was restored to liberty and went to build the city. And we'll read this in the book of Nehemiah when we get to it. And it was finished in the 32nd year of Darius. All the years from the building of the temple, again, are 26 years. So it took 26 years. The whole sum of years amount to 70. In Daniel, it says, from the re-edifying of this city unto the coming of Christ are 483 years. And this is how we know from Daniel. In the ninth chapter of Daniel, it says that Jerusalem will be built up again, and that from that time unto the coming of Christ are 69 weeks, and every week is reckoned for seven years. You know, in the Bible, it often interchanges days, weeks, years. 69 weeks is seven times 69 years, because each week would be seven years long. So 69 weeks amount to 483 years, because when you multiply it by 7, you get 483. From the year of Darius unto the 42nd year of Augustus, in which year Jesus was born. Now that's Augustus Caesar. I guess there were two Augustus Caesars, but the one that we're talking about when Jesus was born, it was in the 483rd year from this time. And when Jesus was born, the existence of mankind had almost made it to the fourth day, meaning 4,000 years. From the time that Jesus was born unto today is approximately 2,022 years, because we're in year 2,022. It's approximate. From the time of Adam to Christ is 3,974 years. If we add 2,022, we'll be pretty close to what year we're in now, and we'll see if that's close to 6,000. 5,996 years, approximately. Now, some of the math could be a little bit in error, and also we don't know what month Adam was born in. The month makes a big difference because the first month of the year is, compared to the 12th month of a year, that's 11-month difference, which is almost a year difference. Depending on what month Adam was born, that could throw us off by basically a whole year. But that's 5,996, which means if the calculations are correct, and supposing Adam was born in the same month, that means that Jesus is coming really soon, maybe in four years or less. I'm not prophesying, I'm just using the information that the Bible gave us. And Jesus himself said, nobody knows the day or the hour, but he never said nobody knows the year. And apparently, God has given us pretty big clues about the year. It's really close. That's all I know for sure, is that it's really close. Since the millennial reign is the beginning of the seventh day, I'm theorizing that the second coming of Jesus would be three and a half years before the millennial reign. That means that if you add three and a half years to 5,996, 
you get pretty much 6,000, don't you? Which means literally Jesus could come at any minute. This is the one thing we really know is it's close. All the signs that Jesus gave us that are discussed in Matthew, all of the signs show us that we are definitely at the end of the age and Jesus could come back anytime. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, today is the day of salvation. And we need to remember that because it doesn't say tomorrow. It says today, which means really we have no time at all because none of us know if we're going to make it to tomorrow. We could have a heart attack. We could get hit by a car. All kinds of things could happen to us. Today is the day that we must repent and follow the Lord. But I am encouraged that he's coming quickly. I don't know exactly what year. All I know is it's got to be very, very close because the six days are almost up. And after the six days of creating his bride comes his Sabbath rest. That's all I want to share with you.